This is the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church, we seek to love God, love others, and make a difference. Today's message is from our I Am sermon series. In this series, we're looking at the seven I Am statements of Jesus, discovering who Jesus is according to his own words, and how this impacts us today. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message encourages you. Well, good morning. Thank you so much for choosing to spend your Easter with us at Life Church, whether you're live or online, we're so glad that you're with us. Uh, on Friday, uh, maybe you were at our Good Friday service. On that day, we remembered the crucifixion of Jesus, Jesus dying in our place. And when you think about why did Jesus die, there's really two reasons. There, there's one that, that he, he, he died because he chose to die. He gave his life. No one could take it from him. But then why did people want to kill him? And at the root of the reason people wanted to kill him was because of the outlandish statements Jesus made about himself. These were really the primary reasons that, that, that Jesus was killed was because of the things he said about who he was. We're actually in a series right now called I Am. We're looking at Jesus in his own words. We're looking at the biggest, boldest statements that Jesus said uh, about what defined himself. And today we're gonna look at one of the biggest statements Jesus ever made about himself. If you have your Bibles, go over to John chapter 11. If you're a guest at Life Church, it's kind of a tradition. The first time we open the Bible, people cheer. If you cheer next time, you will cheer by yourself. John 11, 17. The context here, a couple of Jesus' closest friends, Mary and Martha, their brother has died. And um, he, uh, they send word to Jesus while Jesus was sick. Well, they send word to Jesus while Lazarus, the brother, was still sick, asking Jesus to come and heal him because they knew that he could. Jesus uh, takes his time coming back. By the time he's back, Lazarus has died, verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And then Jesus said to her this incredibly bold statement, I am the resurrection and the life. I wanna share with you today four things about this statement. Here's the first one. This statement is an intensely personal and passionate statement. Jesus is making a very personal statement about himself. He says, I am the, the resurrection and the life. He says, I, I, he's not simply the one who's about to supply Lazarus's resurrection. He's not simply the one, one who would experience his own resurrection and one day supply ours. He, he's making it personal about himself. He says, I am the resurrection, I am the life. He's saying, I am resurrection, I am life. The very essence of resurrection, the very essence of life, it's what defines who I am. But he makes it clear. He says, I'm not just a resurrection. I'm not just a life. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. These things define who Jesus is. 
It's an incredibly personal statement about himself. No one has ever been able to make that kind of claim about themselves and cause large, large amounts of people to believe it. Muhammad never made that claim about himself, nor Buddha, nor Confucius, nor Moses, or Abraham. None of those people ever made that kind of statement about themselves. But Jesus, with all the boldness possible, declares, I am the resurrection and the life. It's personal about him, but it was also personal to Martha. Very likely, Martha is in the moment of the greatest pain that she had ever experienced in her, her life to this point, but very possibly the greatest pain she would ever experience in her whole life. And Jesus makes this very personal statement to her, meeting her in her moment of this incredible pain, but it's also a very personal statement to all of us. That there's really no topic that gets to the core of a person than, than contemplating their own mortality. In fact, we, we go to extreme lengths to never have to think about these things. And I, I saw uh, do extreme lengths to try to defer death or deny that it's ever going to happen. I saw this article uh, the other day that, that scientists and doctors think they, that they might ha have isolated the, the gene that ultimately leads to aging. They might be able to suspend aging which means that it's possible that in 100 years, you're gonna have 20 grandmas that look 25 years old. It's sort of creepy to think about. But we go to extreme lengths to, to avoid thinking about these things, but there's something that goes to the very core of a person when, when you consider your own mortality, the fact that one day you're going to die. It could be soon, it could be decades in the future, and then also it goes to the very core of a person contemplating the loss of loved ones. And, and so Jesus is making this very, very personal statement. He says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. But it's important to understand the passion with which Jesus makes this statement. Look at verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was. So Jesus has come some ways. Now, now Mary has, has left the house, gone to meet up with, with, with Jesus and presumably Martha. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. This key little phrase there. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then Jesus wept. If you're looking for a verse to memorize this year, it's a great place to start. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could, he not, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, and then it says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, again, remember that phrase, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor. The King James Version actually says, he stinketh. <laughs> Some of you maybe have a teenage son and you say, he stinketh. <laughs> For he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here. Anybody here have a relative that primarily prays 
for the benefit of those other people. They're not really talking to God, but they're kind of giving the lecture prayer. You know, you ever have like a, maybe, a, maybe your dad did that, and, and Lord, I pray that you'd help these kids begin to listen to their mother and father, the lecture prayer. <laughs> Jesus clarifies, this isn't for you, Father, this is for these folks. that they may believe that you've sent me. And when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around the face. Jesus said to them, take off those grave clothes. It's, it's easy to read this and believe that, that Jesus' primary emotion around this whole occasion was simply sadness. Because of that short little verse that we all know, Jesus wept. It's easy to think Jesus' primary emotion that he's feeling here is he's simply seeing some sad people and he is simply sad with them. And that's definitely part of it, but it's by no means most of it. Jesus' primary emotion here is actually anger. Uh, the message paraphrase actually is, is, more, is a better translation of this Greek word, embrimaumai, which means to be deeply moved with anger, to be outraged, to roar with rage. Let me read it to you in the message. It says, when Jesus saw her sobbing and the Jews with her sobbing, a deep anger welled up within him. He said, where did you put him? Master, come and see. And then it says, and now Jesus wept. And then we see, and then Jesus, the anger again welling up within him, arrived at the tomb. Uh, the, we see this phrase that, that says he was moved in his spirit, but it, it's, it's really Jesus is incredibly angry. And, and what's he angry with? He's angry with death. He's angry with the sin that leads to death in the world. He's angry with disease that leads to death. He's angry with the despair and the grief and the sadness that death brings. I, I like how John Calvin says it. He says it's, it's like Jesus is about to enter the ring like a wrestler prepared for a contest with a hated foe. The violent tyranny of death, which he came to overcome, now stands before his eyes. What Jesus is doing is he's declaring his intention to go to war with death and win. Jesus is angry and he's about to open up a can on death. It was actually this miracle this, 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 this miracle that leads, this is round one in this war against death, but it's really just, just the, the, the early card before the main event. It actually sets up the main event of Jesus' ultimate conquering over death, which is our second point. It's a boldly prophetic statement. So Jesus is making a personal statement about himself to Mary and to all of us. He makes it with this great passion, but it's also a boldly prophetic statement. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus is predicting his own resurrection. Here's the truth. You can't call yourself the resurrection and then allow someone to just kill you and you stay dead. Jesus is boldly prophesying what's gonna happen in a very short period of time, which is that he's going to have a resurrection of a whole other level. See, see um, Lazarus rose from the dead and then at some point, a number of years or decades down the 
line. Lazarus was gonna die again and stay dead until the final resurrection. But Jesus, is when he says, I am the resurrection, he's boldly prophesying. In fact, in a very short period of time, he's gonna die and he's going to rise from the dead to never die again. This picture of the resurrection that would one day be ours. He's predicting his own resurrection. We see this in Luke 24, verse one. Let me show it to you. It says on the first day of the week, this very first Easter, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In the fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. And then, and then the angel says this, which I find fascinating. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. I love those next five words. Then they remembered his words. The angel's like, don't you remember? Jesus said it was gonna go down like this. And then they're like, oh yeah, he did say that. <laughs> Jesus calls his own shot. He says, hey, it's gonna happen like this. I'm going to be killed, but then three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. He, he prophesies it, and then he does it. He calls his own shot. Now, here's the thing. Listen, if Jesus had not risen from the dead, chances are none of us would ever have heard of him. Do you think in 2,000 years, anyone's gonna be talking about Jim Jones or David Koresh? They, they, these were these, these crazy cult leaders who said some crazy big things about themselves and for a short period of time were able to gather a handful of folks, say, well, may, maybe. And then they died and everyone realized, nope, they were just crazy. In 2,000 years, no one's talking about those guys. But what we see here when Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life, he's, he, what he's doing is he's prophesying his own resurrection. He's calling his own shot. Here's the third thing. When Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life, it's an incredibly promising statement. Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. See, Jesus was no stranger to death. He lived in a time where infant mortality was very high. Many babies just didn't live. If a child made it past infancy, about another half of those didn't make it to their 20th birthday. A great many people never made, to, made it to what we would call middle age. And a world uh, much like parts of the world today where, where someone would just drink some dirty water that would then lead to a stomach bug that would then wouldn't get treated and then just lead to an early death. This was the kind of world that Jesus lived in. And it was a world where they, they didn't hide death the way we do. A great many people today die either in hospitals or in nursing homes. But in, in this time, everybody died at home, so surrounded by a family, surrounded by a village and a close community. It was very much before people all the time. It, death was very much a part of, of the human experience in that time and, and another level than it even is for us today. 
And, and so what Jesus, when Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in me will never die, and, and those, those, those who one day die physically ultimately will live forever, it's the best news that Martha had ever heard in her whole life, and really it's the best news that we could ever hear. It's this incredible promise. It's really what all of us desire. There's this thing inside of us that wants to live forever because we were made to live forever. And so what we, 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 uh, it was in the song a little bit earlier, Paul's statement out of 1 Corinthians 15. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is talking to this church about the difference that Easter makes. The fact that Jesus didn't just say he was the resurrection, but that he ultimately resurrected and the difference it's going to make for all of us who believe. Let me read it to you. Verse 20, he says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, a euphemism for death, but for, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead all, comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in turn, Christ the first fruits. So Jesus' resurrection, where ultimately he rose never to die again, it's this picture of our resurrection that will come later. And then when he comes, those who belong to him, and then he begins to talk about the return of Jesus. We see in verse 50, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. What he's saying is some people, uh, some people that are following Jesus will still be alive when Jesus comes back. We will not all sleep, we'll not, we, may not, we will not all die physically, he's saying, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Jesus comes back, this trump sounds, for the trump will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, a resurrection like Jesus is, raised never to die again. And we will be changed, for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When perishable, and then skipping down to verse 55, it says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Amen. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life, he who believes in me will never die. Even those who die physically ultimately will live forever. It's this incredibly great promise. It's the promise of Easter. See, the good news of Easter is that everywhere there is death, the risen Christ comes and brings life. The good news of Easter is that death is not the end of the story. The good news of Easter is that, is that I can live a fear-free life. See, the, so many of our fears ultimately come, come down to the, the fear of death. And, and because of Easter, I don't have to go through life fearing death. The good news of Easter is that no matter how dark things seem, hope is never lost. Amen. I heard a guy once talk about a recurring dream that he had about his, his wife dying, this terrible dream. But, but the thing that he, if anyone ever had such a bad, bad dream, and, and you wake up and your emotions, at the, when you first wake up, you're just kind of scared to death. But then that fear and horror, as you realize that was all just a dream, kind of leads to this great joy, like you got the best news ever. 
And this guy would talk about how he'd had this recurring dream that his wife died, it was this terrifying dream, and then he'd, he'd wake up and just realize that all of his fears had become untrue. And, and really, that's the thing about the resurrection, is that everything sad ultimately will become untrue. God takes all of our pain and undoes it in the resurrection. Here's the last thing and we're done. When Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life, he's making this powerfully provocative statement. The statement that begs life's most important question. Let me show it to you. Verse 25, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then Jesus asks the question to Martha that he asks all of us. Do you believe this? She replies and says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah or the Christ or the King, the Son of God who is to come into the world. So here's the fact. Jesus' claims about who he is are wholly dependent on the resurrection. And so really when Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in me will never die, do you believe this? He asks that question to Martha. He asks that question to us, but it's inextricably tied to this question of do we believe in the resurrection? It's, it's, it's inextricably tied. You can't separate it. And, and so we have to ask ourselves the question, do I believe that Jesus is the resurrection of life? Which is the question of, do I believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Because if you predict your own death and you predict your own resurrection and then you accomplish it, you definitely are who you say you are. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, is, it, is there a reason to believe that Jesus rose from the dead? I believe there's overwhelming evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. For our verse is this, Jesus' existence and crucifixion are, are the most attested to facts in all of ancient history. Not just in the biblical accounts, but in other historical accounts. There's really no doubting the fact that there was a guy named Jesus that lived in ancient Palestine or Israel that, that, that was crucified. That is agreed by, by almost every scholar that Jesus actually existed and was crucified. And so the second question is, well, if Jesus was crucified, what happened to his body? This whole issue of the empty tomb, the empty tomb is acknowledged by the vast majority of scholars. The Jews, even in the day, even though they denied the resurrection of Jesus, they accepted that the tomb was empty. Their retort was that the disciples must have stolen the body. So then we ask ourselves, is it logically plausible that these disciples who had just seen their friend and leader, their rabbi, die this horribly brutal death, said, hey, this is a great idea. Let's go and steal his body, tell everybody that he's been resurrected, and, and, and let's have the greatest lie in human history. Throw up the little caption from Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson was, was Richard Nixon's, um, in his cabinet, one of his henchmen, ended up going to prison for Watergate. Let me read you what he said. He ended up coming to know Jesus in prison. He says, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, 
tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. <laughs> You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years. Absolutely impossible. See, really, there's no other explanation for the growth of the Christian church. N.T. Wright says it this way. He says, it's difficult to come up with any historically plausible alternate explanation for the birth of the Christian movement. It's hard to account for thousands of Jews virtually overnight worshiping a human being as divine when everything about their religion and culture conditioned them to believe that that was not only impossible, but deeply heretical. The best explanation for the change was that many hundreds of them had actually seen Jesus with their own eyes. But here's the thing. There's really two kinds of belief. There, there's a belief that is just simply a, I am not denying a fact, or I'm predisposed to think that this might be true. And then there's a belief that, that leads to action, the type of belief that you base your life upon. I'm gonna ask a question, and if it's too personal, just feel free to not answer. Um, how many of you believe that because of inflation, the, the price and value of gold is going to increase over the next year? Raise your hand. hand keep your hands up, hands up. Hands up, all right. And then hands down. How many of you have bought gold in the last few weeks? All right. Some people are like, don't want you to steal my gold. No, not telling anybody. And uh, <laughs> these people look shady. What if they rob my house? Fair enough. Fair enough. But do you see what I'm saying? I tend to think the price of gold's going to go up in the coming weeks. I've bought no gold. And 66% of Americans say they believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. 20% say he has not. 14% are uncertain. But there's a kind of belief that says, I tend to think this is probably true, or I do not deny this historical fact or this fact of reality. But then there's the type of belief that causes one to base one's whole life on a thing. And when Jesus says, whoever believes in me, I'm the resurrection and the life, whoever believes in me will never die. He's not just simply talking about just kind of an acknowledgement of a historical fact. What he's talking about is the sort of belief that, that one bases their whole entire life and life choices upon this fact. That sort of belief is what Jesus is asking. And so when Jesus says, do you believe this? Do you believe that I am the resurrection and, and, and the life? And then, and then to be more clear, do you believe that I rose from the dead, conquering the greatest enemies of life, sin and death and hell? When he says, just like he says to Martha, he says to you, do you believe this? He's not simply saying, do you believe this like you think gold's gonna go up in value? What he's saying is, do you believe this in a way that, that it would cause you to, to build your whole entire life upon this fact? That's the question he's asking all of us. Are you basing your entire life 
on the fact that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and that he actually died on the cross willfully, taking the punishment, I deserve the punishment you deserve, and rose from the dead, conquering death. Are you basing your life, your day-to-day decisions on this fact? Are you basing your life on the truth that Jesus came to live the perfect life that you and I never could? All of us find ourselves sinful and fallen and broken and that Jesus came to live the perfect life that that I never could and that you never could. And, And that he willingly chose to die the death that I deserve to die for my sins and that you deserve to die for your sins. He willingly chose to take our place and that he rose from the dead conquering our greatest fears and our greatest enemies. You see, when I base my life on the fact that Jesus is the source of real life now and forever, when I base my life on this claim that he says, I am the resurrection and the life, when I base my life on the fact that that Jesus died in my place willingly because of his love for me and then conquered sin and death and hell, when I base my life on that fact, what really begins to happen is I begin to live life on his terms and not my own. And so Jesus looked at Martha, one of his very best friends, and he looked at her through the eyes of love, and he looked at her through the eyes of compassion, and he looked at her through the eyes of this lens, of this building up rage towards sin and death and the grave. And he looked at her and he said, do you believe this? Are you willing to base your whole entire life on what I just said to you, that I am the resurrection and the life. And it's the question that Jesus asks all of us to answer. Maybe you've never thought about that question. Maybe you've gone through your life trying not to have to answer that question. But I believe some of you, the reason you're here today is because today is the day where you answer that question once and for all and everything changes for you. Let me pray for you. I believe there's some of you in this service, just like there were in the last service, a bunch of people, that today was the day that they answered that question in a real way, once and for all, where they began to base their entire life on Jesus saying he's the resurrection and the life, and more than that, on the fact they didn't just say it, he proved it, dying in our place, rising from the dead, and it's a big enough deal to base your whole entire life on. And some of you today, today's the day you're gonna make that choice. Maybe you've never heard this before, or maybe, maybe you've done a bunch of church stuff, but it's just never been real for you. You've never made the personal choice to follow Jesus. Never come to a spot where you've given your life to Christ. But there's something inside of you this morning that's saying this is the most true thing that you've ever heard in your life. And there's something inside of you this morning that says this is what you need to do. You need to give your life to Christ. Become a follower of Jesus. Base your entire life on who Jesus said he was and what he's done for us giving him the reins of your life or you're no longer in charge. 
And in a minute, I'm gonna pray a prayer out loud. And it's not even so much about a prayer you pray. It's, it's much more about what's just going on in your heart between you and God. But there's powerful power to a moment where we look back and know that we did business with God. And so I'm gonna pray a prayer out loud. And if that's you, if you say, you know what? I don't think I've ever really given my life to Christ and really meant it. I don't think I've ever really become a follower of Jesus, but I know that today, that's what I need to do. I'm gonna pray a prayer out loud. You can pray something like it with me, something like this. God, I need you. And I believe that Jesus is your son. And I believe that he died the death that I deserve to die for my sin. And I believe that he rose from the dead. Conquering sin and conquering death and conquering hell. And I believe that he is my only hope. And I don't wanna keep living life where I'm in charge. On my own terms, going my own direction and doing my own thing. God, I wanna follow Jesus for the rest of my life. And Lord, even right now, would you come and live inside of me and take control in the person of your Holy Spirit? I wonder with our heads bowed and eyes closed, no one's looking around, it's just you and me. I wonder how many of you would say, you know what, I just prayed that prayer and really meant it for the first time. I just gave my life to Christ. Like I said, everyone's heads are bowed and eyes are closed. It's just you and me. But if you prayed that prayer and really meant it, I just wanna be able to celebrate with you. So just where you're at, I would invite you, if you prayed that prayer, just raise up your hand and look up and let your eyes meet mine right now. If you prayed that prayer, just look up and look, your eyes meet mine. I see you guys over there. What about in this section? I see you guys there. I see, I see in the back, two hands up, I love that. Anyone in the middle say, you know what, I prayed that prayer and I really, I see the hand in the back. Anyone else in the middle? What about over in this section? Any of you guys say, you know what, I just I see, sir. Anyone else in this section say, you know what, I just prayed that prayer to give my life to Christ. What about in this on my far left? I see you guys there. Anyone else? I see you there near the back. I see you in the front. So Father, Lord, we thank you for Easter. Lord, all that it means. Lord, I pray that you'd help all of us to live each day basing our entire life, every choice, based on who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to catch more of the I Am series and to hear more messages like this. You can also find more information at lifechurchreno.com.